0: G'day Ag Watchers listeners, we've got a special guest on today, it's Dougal Saunders who's the Ag Minister for the New South Wales uh, Government and um, I think as well in your past life Dougal you're an ex-ABC uh, radio host so we're going to be showing up Andrew for being the poor <laughs> the poor um, interviewers that we are but it's fantastic to have you on to have a chat about what's going on in Ag and more specifically in Ag in New South Wales so welcome to the show Dougal.
1: Appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. I'd actually like to hear Andrew say my name as well because I reckon he'll handle it a bit better than you do.
2: Well, I reckon we're 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 half related, Dougald. Uh, <laughs> you know, I uh, and, and I know a lot of Saunders, so that's, uh, that's uh, but Do you know many Dugalds? Uh, not with that spelling.
1: No. <laughs> good but traditional uh, spelling, mine.
2: Yep, yep. So, so that's that's a very northern way of spelling, it, I think. So. <laughs> I'm, or i because I've got such a, uh, you can tell I've got such a light accent, I'm from the South.
0: You can tell. It's pretty, much, it's pretty much English. Pretty much <laughs> English, Dougal. Oh, Good to join you, fellas. Thanks for having me on today. Right. Well, let's,
2: let's get into it.
0: Yep. The, uh, we'll start the, off. with The, the we'll psychological test. That's the one. We'll start off with our sixth sense. We're going to fire six words at you, Dougal. And just the first thing that comes to mind, either a short phrase or a, or a word back to us. Andrew, you want to kick it off? Black pudding. Like pudding, <laughs> pigs, EID tags,
2: sheep, Varroa mate,
0: bees, haggis, <laughs> pottage. Right, so you make pottage, <laughs> foot and mouth disease, uh, cows burning. Is that it? Or we've got one more? I think we've got one more, haven't we? Yep. Um, ABC Radio.
1: <laughs> gold, gold for Australia.
0: <laughs> very good.
2: Right, oh, so. That was, that was Norman
1: May, the ABC thing. Yeah,
2: so, so we'll you, you jump into it because we know, you know, you're, you're, we're, well, we're paying for you to be here for our taxes. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I was to
1: didn't realise I was being paid though. I'm very excited now. Yeah, so, uh,
2: so I'm here for
1: as long as you need me, boys.
2: In, it's an hourly in, in rate. Yep. Indirectly. In uh, so, you, 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 you were fairly, fairly instrumental last month. Uh, last month, everyone was going a bit crazy about foot and mouth disease. Rightly so, because it was a big risk. Uh, but you, you took a bit of a lead on that in terms of uh, your visit to the airport to talk about the uh, introducing EID tags for traceability. Can you, can you tell us a bit about that and why you, uh, why you made that sort of jump to do that when no one else had done that previously from, from a governmental yeah, point of view?
1: I guess um, the, the thing about uh, foot and mouth disease uh, ramping up quite quickly alerted a lot of people uh, who are producers of, of beef and, and lamb and pork uh, and, and goat, you know, any, any animal with a cloved hoof was, was worried very quickly about what that means. So, you know, I hear that. I'm, I'm, I'm connected to a lot of different farmers uh, who very quickly react to hearing that something like foot and mouth is at somewhere like barley, for example. And as soon as that happened, you start getting the sense that something doesn't feel great. Um, And and Bali sort of flared a fair bit because of the fact that it's such a popular destination for Australian tourism. And we were seeing, you know, over 100 flights a week returning from from Bali with, you know, people that were going over there for a winter break and having a great time, and that's all happy days. But as soon as foot and mouth was detected there, it became a bit of a a a scare, I think, went through Mm. agriculture. Um, So really... That was that was the time that um, I, I thought was, was needed to really show the importance of everyone sh- uh, having personal responsibility for, for their part with foot and mouth. And part of that involves people coming back from Bali. Part of that involves people importing legally or illegally meat products from around the world. And part of that involves traceability in all of our stock. Uh, and the glaring emission from that traceability scenario at the moment uh, has been sheep and goats, to be honest. And... Um, I guess New South Wales has the opportunity, given the way that we interact and we have the largest throughput of of both of those, is that we need to be at at the front end of the table to do that. And it's not an easy discussion. It's it's difficult. You talk to stock agents, you talk to stock owners, you talk to people in Western parts who don't want to do this and they feel like things that have been running for a while are okay, but if at the same time I need to stand there and hand on heart say we're doing everything we can, if we are not doing EID, then we are not doing everything we can. And, and mate, that's why I decided to, to go down that pathway. I did talk to a lot of people before making that call, but I feel like a national approach led by New South Wales with the feds running it from the top level is where we need to be.
0: So you I think that... Do you, I was going to say, Dougal, do you think that was instrumental? That kind of approach with getting the message out there was instrumental in in getting New South Wales farmers at the recent vote on it, and and it got across the line there. Do you think that was what was kind of you know leading the charge?
2: I, I think that was actually my rousing speech at the, <laughs> at the panel session about about how FMD affected people in Dumfries, uh, and also and also a bit of Dougal's work, giving him some credit.
1: But but in all honesty, part of that was about, um, you know, I did a lot of um, chats to people at the conference leading up to the conference about the concerns they had uh, around us not doing something. And and you've always got two sides to the story, yeah? So it's it's not an easy thing to necessarily do. But again, uh, with conference being on, uh, I knew that was going to be a hot topic of debate for the conference. And I was really, really pleased to see, actually, after I presented my speech to to the conference of New South Wales Farmers, they then moved a motion very quickly to hold all other business and move to a vote on that because it was the topic of the room. And I think that was important to actually be part of that, help lead that, help, help provide the impetus for people who could see that this is necessary and have been thinking this for a while to, to pick up the ball and run with it. You know? And that's, that's what happened. And I think at the end of the day, there are now people who are worried about what this means just to reiterate this is the starting point of what the ID mm. will be for sheep and goats. We haven't we haven't got a clear pathway yet as to what it'll be because we need to talk to all the producers. We need to talk uh, about what has or hasn't worked in Victoria, where they're already doing this. We need to talk to agents about how, how they want to see it right, rolled out in in yards. Uh, all of the um, the processes, you know, whether it's in Tamworth or Dubbo or Victoria or South Australia, all of the processes are part of the the solution to this as well. So If you don't start the conversation though and say we will do this and agree and during that conference um, I think it was on the the Wednesday or the Thursday we had our first ag ministers meeting with all other ministers around Australia and I put that to them they all agreed so we now have an agreement on a national approach first time ever I think that's good news.
2: And also cross party as well.
1: Yeah absolutely and and that's the thing I mean everyone can see the the reality around what um, our biosecurity needs to be it doesn't matter what party you're part of, or where you are in the country. If we're not all a part of it, then again, we're not being fed England.
2: Well, I think I, I think the, the worrying sort of thing is that the reality is it's taken a scare to get people to change their mind. And the reality is that the evidence has been that we've probably needed a system plus EID for a number of years. And, but hopefully this is something that we can get on on track in the next couple of years.
1: And, and, but you, you talk about a scare, the same thing happens just with, with people and health. I mean, COVID. Yep. It's a similar, not exactly the same, but it's a similar scenario where we sometimes do as humans Psychology. need a, bit of a kick in the backside <laughs> um, to realise what we, what we can do. And, you know, part of that response to FMD will again be similar to how we responded to COVID. And that is uh, leading the development of new ways of dealing with FMD, which is mRNA vaccines. And that's something that New South Wales, again, should and will be leading on because we have the experts at the uh, Elizabeth MacArthur Ag Institute in Western Sydney who are already, um, you know, working with the Canadians and also MIT in the, in the US around developing the protein that can help, um, you know, switch things on and off in the body. There are eight strains that we currently know of of FMD.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so, but you need to find a way of turning on or off the response from the body of the animal to each one of those strains. And that's what they're working on. Also lumpy skin, but mRNA, we all got to hear about what that was during COVID. Um, and I think that was a great learning we now need to transfer that across to, to animals as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, fingers crossed we keep it out. And that's I was just presenting to a conference um, earlier this week um, in BAC, just uh, just south of me in Ballarat. And um, the question came around, you know, this this big kind of uh, media exposure of FMD, and, and did things go too far, particularly with the price falls we saw in the last few weeks with cattle and and lamb pricing. Um, and I did say, look, you know, hopefully it stays out, and that's the good and, and the silver lining if it stays out is that. We've got much more um, awareness, of people coming into the country, much more awareness of people doing the right thing in terms of what they, you know, what they're declaring. But I think it's also extended to Dougal to more awareness again back on farm about is our biosecurity plan up to scratch? You know, are we doing the right things on farm in terms of foot bars and other measures to make sure you're washing down vehicles that are coming in or making sure they haven't got mud on them? So do you think that also kind of extends that? Yes, it was a scare. Hopefully, it stays out, but it's kind of given us a bit of a shake-up to make sure we're kind of um, you know, doing everything right and EID is a part of that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right, Matt. And what that does is it gives us again the opportunity to talk to farmers one-on-one or through, in New South Wales, it's through Local Land Services, LLS, uh, to talk to farmers one-on-one about what their biosecurity farm plan is. And if you haven't looked at it for two or three or five years, you're like you're kidding yourself now, you've got to be looking at it again. So have you got a sign at the front gate saying do not enter without calling this number the farm manager or whoever's going to be there or if it's you um, all of those things they're simple things that form the starting point of how people actually deal meaningfully with biosecurity and for some it might be weeds for others it might be foot and mouth or lumpy skin or varroa mite um, but you know it's, it's whatever it needs to be for your farm um, and dairy is a really good example where if, if you're near a road people often just go for a little wander and think they can go into your property. I mean, it's, it's, it's a scary scenario, but it's an educational one where we need a, as, um, as an industry, as an agricultural industry, to take the reins now and say, uh, we have control. So if you want to come on the farm, I need to know you're coming and what you're doing here when you're here, not just popping in to look at the cows. Uh, that's not acceptable. Or, 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 uh,
2: or, or take a se- selfie for Instagram in a canola field. <laughs> exactly. we can all yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that as well. We're just getting close to the season when it's going to start going all golden yeah. and you'll have all the tourists walking through the paddocks again. Yeah. So, so, so you,
2: you mentioned one thing there. Let's, let's move off FMD because that's done a death the last month or so. Veromite is a biosecurity problem that is actually here and active. Have you got an update on what's happening there?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, the, the varroa mite, um, I, I guess in my former career, you mentioned ABC Radio. i I've talked about varroa mite on radio for over a decade as far as preparations and when it gets here, not if it gets here. And then, you know, eventually it did get here, which was a bit of a, a shock to everyone. But in, in, a, in some form, it was actually, oh, OK, so we do actually finally have it now. All of the plans have been in place for a long time with industry and that was activated really quickly, which is a good thing to note that there was there was really good planning there. doesn't stop the shock for, for people. And we're dealing with recreational beekeepers and also commercial beekeepers who have different operations. But at the end of the day, for most of them, their bees are like their family. You know, it's, yep. it's one of those things. It just is. If you know beekeepers, they're passionate and it matters to them. So it's been a really hard journey at the moment where you know, roughly the mid 80s as far as infected premises. Most of those are still in that general area of, I'll say Newcastle, Hunter, Port mm. Stephens area. Um, and, and we we started off with an initial couple of red zones, and then expanded out and started doing wide-ranging surveillance to see how far this had got. Now, and the reason numbers are going up again right now is that we're back in those red zones, literally almost going door to door to check on on hives that we didn't have time to before because mm. we wanted to check on the spread. Now they're doing really intensive surveillance back in the red zones again. And those numbers will go up again yeah. in each day. Or well, I, because I,
2: as, as you look for something, you're going to find it. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. And look, you know, there's, there's been the spread. So we saw a, um, you know, a transmission up to Coffs Harbour. Um, we saw a one out at Narrabri. They are all directly related to initial sites where hives had been moved. So, yeah. you know, that's the important thing. Again, if you relate it back to COVID, all the contact tracing we're doing now is about tracing where hives have moved, when they've moved, what they've had on them and were there any further movements. And that's all the work that's been done. And seriously, there's been... Like over twenty thousand individual hives checked now. It's been an incredible effort from from the team at DPI and LLS, but also with support from beekeepers because, you know, for them it's their industry, their lives, and they're the ones experienced in doing the alcohol wash test and all that sort of stuff that we need to do. They're helping, and that's important.
2: It's, it, um, do, there, do, a sorry sorry, Mark, uh, an ignorant question here, uh, which I'm known for. In in terms of, and like you mentioned. Uh, commercial beehives plus hobby b5 is every every beehive registered
1: well that, that's part of what's probably been shown um, during this horrific out, um you know incursion is that not every beekeeper is registered and if you have one hive in new south wales and i'm not sure what it's like for every other state but i think it's the same if you've got one hive you should register it. it's it's an expectation very simple thing to do on the dpi website and um it's again it's just about that recognition that you have bees and that that could mean that you're a risk to other biosecurity so um you know there's been a bit of a scramble for people who haven't been registered to get registered and i've sort of helped lead that to say if you're not do it now because if you expect to be compensated you need to be on the books as being a registered beekeeper. it doesn't matter whether you're recreational or commercial so that i think that messaging is getting out there but um you know The the movement of bees happens all the time and unfortunately people will probably try to, to take the mickey a bit and do it undercover. The problem with that is you're putting everyone else at risk. So we're asking for people to be honest. We're trying to treat them really respectfully and helpfully rather than trying to hit them with a big stick. It's about helping with the future, not what's happened in the past. We don't care what you've done wrong. We just want to help you now and sort out the best way forward.
0: Despite um, the area under focus expanding somewhat, and you said you've, you've kind of caught more cases as well, um, probably because you're looking like Andrew kind of indicated as well, um, does it mean it's, it's still, are you, are you concerned we still haven't got it yet under control, or do you think we have got under control, and this is still part of the, the mop-up phase uh, where we're at now? Look, I don't think you'd say it's under
1: control, um, and I'm not sure how long it's going to take to say that. The reality is that we we hope in the next little while that those other little sites like Coffs Harbour and Narrabri will be able to shut down and say there is nothing there. That's what I'm hoping can happen soon. So all of the surveillance we've done in those areas so far has shown no other spread, but we just need to give it a little bit of time to make sure that we haven't missed something. So if, if we can do that, then really we then go back to that Newcastle Hunter, Port Stephens area, try and ring fence that and let normal activity happen in the rest of the state maybe and work really hard in that area. Now, um, you know, the, there is compensation on the table already for recreational beekeepers, five fifty per hive. If you want to keep your hiveware, it's 200 bucks for your bees. So people have got the ability to start thinking about what they want to do if they're in a red zone. And for some people, it will be burn the entire hive, I'll take my five fifty. Others will say, well, I've got brand new plastic or poly uh, hiveware, I'll keep it in the frames, just come and, you know, euthanise the bees, we'll strap it up for 21 days, let everything inside, unfortunately dies, and then you can clean it all out, reuse the hiveware. And that'll be, it's different horses for different courses. So on I think it's operation. good that people can have a choice of doing what they want to do for their situation. And commercially, it, it literally is um, an individual chat with DPI. So we know every commercial beekeeper who has been affected by this, and as they um, increase or, you know, numbers grow, we, we are literally on the ground working with them, and we will go back to them individually and say, Matt, You've got a thousand hives. Uh, you're doing honey production. This is what we're valuing your your product and commercial viability at. And Andrew, we're saying to you, mate, you've got 400 hives. You normally do pollination. This is what we're valuing your enterprise at. So that will be a, a two-way conversation between us and the producers. And I think that's an important good way
0: to do things as well. You might have you might have you might have answered my other question when you said that 21 days where you you keep the hive wrapped up is that that's the period of time. It's a bit like the two weeks for COVID. That's now, I think, seven days. Um, it, that's the period in which you have to kind of stay in a no, that's, quarantine. That's, or,
2: that, no, that's when all the bees die.
0: Yeah, yeah. But but yeah. once you once you pass, so so for those areas like you mentioned that you're looking at, um, hopefully have conto- have controlled those other secondary areas. If there's no sign after 21 days that there's any there, then then you're fairly comfortable in saying you've got it out. So that's that's the key uh, amount of time you wait for, is it?
1: Uh, Roughly. The the 21 days is more sort of to to Andrew's point. So the the bees die actually fairly quickly, but um, mites can probably survive without the bees for a certain period. Um, But essentially they need something to to live off. Um, So if all the bees are dead, the the mites die as well with the the fumes that that the hives are put under. But it's just a safety measure to make sure that everything is dead and that three-week period was chosen as you know after ten days really nothing should be alive. But let's double, triple that. Make sure but there's it, no chance of anything
2: at all. It's it's kind of like the withholding period on yeah on a fumigants, a fumigants into a silo yeah. of grain. Yeah. So 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 the, I guess my next question on on Veroma is is Victoria. Like we, well, I'm in Canberra today, but Matt's in Victoria. Got a lot of almonds in Victoria that use New South Wales uh, New South Welsh uh, bees. What's mm. what's what's the goal there? Because Victoria must be uh, there's a lot of income in almonds that won't get a, yeah won't get bees.
1: Look, I mean that's that's a decision uh, to close that that border from the Victorian uh, government, which um, I won't say I'm completely perplexed about, but it is a little bit disappointing given all of the measures we've put in place to make sure that any hive movements will be safe. Now, you know. It's a, it's a decision that they can make, but, but ultimately they're the ones who are going to have to deal with a lack of production from almonds. And mm. I would not be surprised if we don't hear a fair outcry at some point from those almond producers saying, they're literally across the river, you are killing us, let them across. Because, you know, the river isn't going to stop these zipping across. No, so. let's, let's be completely honest. So why pretend? Um, and, and look, the, the permit system we have in place, there are significant hurdles you have to jump over. There is some giving it compliance on the ground that we'll be running we have 26 new compliance and surveillance officers who will be at those hot spots so we know where all those areas are um, as a, a commercial beekeeper who wants to be involved in pollination you've had to register you've had to do your alcohol washes proof you've got nothing you've had to do a short online course with tocal to show you understand everything that's going on you have to have provided all of your movement details for the past two years so that we know where you've been then you have to put the exact location you want to be to do your pollination before you go. And we're not just talking about a farm name. We're talking about a GPS locator so that when you are there, uh, our DPI staff know exactly where you are and they know your lat and long and they can go exactly to you and say, well, you're supposed to have 200 hives here. Why are there 5,000? And, you know, literally, like, they will know what you're supposed to be doing and when. That's important. And then there's also the agreement now around the use of miticide strips so that is a, a, an effective way of saying if there was any chance of any mites being in any of those hives, they will be killed. And the spread of that is so low risk. It's almost nil. And, yes, it will mean you can't use the honey because you've got miticide strips in, but it's not about the honey for, for that. It's about it's pollination. pollination. So let's let's deal with that. But the, the risk of an outbreak is so low, and there will be literally daily checks of not everyone's hives, but daily checks Somewhere in that area, from our compliance offices, to make sure everything's on track.
2: So, so Diggle, I'm Scottish, as you know, and, and you're obviously descended from the Scots. Uh, so, we always have the old saying: you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best, but focus on the worst because we're more abundant. Uh, you mentioned that you're doing twenty thousand. I think you said tests of of individual hives, which I imagine isn't something that takes two seconds. Uh, you've got 28 comp- new compliance officers. They, they wouldn't be just focused. Typically, they would be spread across a whole bunch of other industries as well, yeah. I'm assuming not just bees, yeah?
1: So- um, well, literally literally, what we've done is we've we've uplifted. So we've got compliance officers doing work all around the place anyway. But for pollination work specifically, we have created 26 new roles to focus on exactly this. They're not going to inspect every single hive, but if you've got that 400 hives, um, they'll be looking at a percentage of your hives yeah. doing the alcohol washes with you to make sure that, yep, as you say, you, you, you've you got your miticide strips in, yep, check. Um, all of that stuff will be checked on the ground uh, to make but, sure. But, but,
2: that. But, but these resources, the, the general resources that are doing this type of activities over the last, let's call it, eight weeks, let's think worst case scenario, yeah? Uh, let's say, for instance, we did have an FMD outbreak. We did have varoma outbreak and continuing COVID outbreaks. Let's say... Do we? Would you have the resources in New South Wales to deal with all of that at the same time? We, we stretch pretty thin. I would have thought.
1: Yeah, Jeez, you are a Moribund fella, aren't you?
2: Um, <laughs> Scottish. Yeah. <mother>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now look, it's it's one of those things. Trust me, we've talked about it because um, you do need to focus on the worst case scenario. And mm. the reality mm. is, if if we get foot and mouth, it would be um, first of all whichever mm. state it got into would be the leading state, and everyone else would back that in straight away. But but you know we would be there as one of the first responders for fmd as we are for varroa because of our capabilities as a state um but literally we've got rfs have been involved very quickly ses police resilience all of the agencies would actually go into emergency mode and there would be a statewide emergency mode that we go to and then a national emergency mode so look at the the people as far as testing for varroa might they would remain doing what they're doing. They might be thinned out a bit as other people need to move elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the general response would be at an emergency level.
2: It's really it's really uh, interesting because it seems like it's a, like from the outside you don't really know what's happening, yeah. But there seems to be a, I mean, when we spoke to Mark Ship a few weeks ago about uh, FMD, uh, that was a good thing about it is being able to get the insights from what is actually happening. Because if you're looking from the outside, you yeah. might not know what is actually happening. And it seems like there's a lot more work in this area than you expect, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. But we, and it is interesting. but it, And it's it's hard to, you know, not every Joe public yeah. wants to know what's happening, right? They they focus on what's ha- important in their lives. And then suddenly something sparks up and they might jump and latch onto that and think, hang on, I've never heard this before. What's happening? But, you know, be assured. And, and people that listen to your podcast obviously are interested. Be assured that There is significant work going on. Well,
2: the the podcast listeners is mainly my mother, my auntie, (laughs) so so it's generally a Scottish audience. So they might not be that interested. Hey, mum, how are
0: you? (laughs) My my sister, do good. So. Obviously, we've had you know biosecurity, we've got FMD, and both I might keeping you quite busy and your and your staff quite busy. What as the ag minister of New South Wales, what other things keep you up at night, uh, you know, with concern? Is it things like water access or farm labour, or you know, are there other kind of big issues that you're trying to tackle at the same time?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's about a million different balls in the air, to be honest. <laughs> um, but you know, you, you can't you can't let all of it keep you awake at night, otherwise you'd never sleep at all. The main other one, to be honest, is, is workforce. And that's not just ag, that's everywhere. Um, I was talking to, um, you know, a couple of people today who were involved in, in meat processing and, you know, they are right across the country, short staffed everywhere. And it's not great. It, it's really hard. Um, and part of that is around, I think, literally getting more people into the country. And I've spoken a number of times now to the Federal Minister around more ability and that's not just about necessarily an ag visa scheme but that's part of it probably but there's also some long-term thinking around who we want back in the country who wants to stay and be here long term so, so pathways for actually people to be here mm. in a quicker way than we mm. normally do and obviously with that comes some risk but the feds really need to do something meaningful not just for ag but across the board to get people back in because we're anywhere between 200 and 500 thousand people short of where yeah, we were yeah. two years ago and, and that, that impacts everything
2: and that's what we're finding we we're quite lucky in that we work across a whole sector of agriculture so corporates or white collars green collar blue collar and everybody's short doesn't matter what company it is they cannot get staff whether it's procurement yeah. professionals policy officers there's no staff
1: White staff, baristas, bar staff, whatever it might be, everyone's short. There's no doubt about that.
0: Speaking of um, speaking of people being uh, short-staffed and having to go to something, I can hear something ringing in the background there, do Was that your <laughs> is that your warning bell?
1: That's my that's my summons to to run down to the chamber uh, and go and make sure I do a, a particular vote. So. Um, I'm happy to come back if you like, or we can pause
2: here. Up to you. I reckon we wrap up here. We've covered a whole range of topics. Uh, one, one final thing is uh, you're you're from Dublin, and uh, I heard you you're planning a date at the zoo in a couple of weeks. Can you give us a quick, a quick, yeah, a, very quick, a, a day. very quick wrap on that? I heard you got a guest speaker as yeah, well. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. It's going to be, a look,
1: it's, it's a focus on biosecurity. And I mean, part of that is about for, for people who are interested in, and keen to be involved. But part of it's around, and we're holding at the zoo because zoo animals are intimately linked to biosecurity and movements right now. So Taronga Western Plains Zoo has an amazing record of shipping animals all around the world. So they get biosecurity really well. And same with our Taronga uh, cousins in Sydney. So we're holding it at the zoo to, I guess, amplify the fact that we do it really well and there are some learnings across the sectors about how we can do things. So that's on uh, Monday the 22nd of August at Dubbo. Um, looking forward to seeing a great range of people, good-looking likes like yourself there taking part in some really interesting discussions um, and can't wait for it. It's a really good thing to talk about. Look, biosecurity is a really boring word, um, but it's everything from... How many are on your boots to booze in your bloody socks? So we need to talk about it meaningfully and at that level and get everyone on board.
0: Right, all well, that, that, that,
2: that that bell is ring. The bell has tolled. And uh, <laughs> good luck with your vote. Uh, and uh, look, we'll we'll leave you to it, uh, Dougald. And uh, thanks very much for coming on and spending, you know, a good good forty five minutes talking to us. Cheers,
0: Cheers. good. Thanks, so guys, good. thanks
2: for Thank,
1: See nice when you got you thanks Andrew. See you in the See you when you yeah. got nothing
0: on, mate. Cheers. Bye bye, ciao. Bye bye.